You know why I say that? Because it's in our text this morning. Good morning. Actually, good morning isn't, but the children of God is. And we are children of God, and what a blessing that is, isn't it? That uh, as we look at that, as uh, it's in our text. And uh, as we're going to be in First John today, we're going to be dealing with hope, which we have much of. You know, there was a B-17 bomber that was on a mission in World War II that was over uh, in Germany. And uh, as it was flying, it was hit by several uh, shells. Matter of fact, in the fuel tank. And it kept flying. This bomber kept up. Twenty shells were taken out of that tank after it had landed. Twenty shells. Why didn't it blow up? That's what they were wondering. How can we keep doing this? Well, the shells were dismantled, taken apart. There were no explosives in the shells. Isn't that strange? This was what was in one of the shells. It was a note. And it says, this is all we can do for you now. <laughs> there was a man that was from the, from the Czechs who actually worked underground, uh, you might say. And he worked in a factory that uh, was for the Germans and it was actually uh, explosives that he was dealing with. And he omitted the explosives from many shells. He couldn't do every one of them, but uh, he would do as much as he could. And he must have hoped that all the work that he did to kind of subvert a lot of the Nazi effort was done. He never knew exactly what all happened, but his hope would be that it would save some people. He hoped that he could make some kind of a difference in that World War II. Well, his hope definitely came true. And uh, we as Christians have a tremendous hope. I mean, we have the best hope possible. It's a confident hope. It's not one of those hope souls, but it's a real hope. Matter of fact, it's more real than us standing here right now. I mean, to know that, and it's even more real than the present time that we live in. We know what's going to happen in the future as far as our eternal lives are concerned. We don't know all the uh, little events that are going to happen, but we do know the outcome of all of this. And if we've trusted in Christ, we have an indescribable peace right now. And if I weren't a Christian, I can't imagine living without having some kind of hope or knowledge of what's going to, to happen after this. So this entire section that we're dealing with today is about hope. That's kind of interesting because we're closing out chapter 2 because we left off at verse uh, 28 last week. So there's only eight, uh, 28 and 29. And you know that we need more time, uh, so we must take the other chapter too. So we're just going to go into chapter 3. We don't ordinarily do that. We just stop at chapter 2 and wait for next week. But there's not enough stuff there. Uh, you don't believe that, do you? <laughs> Well, we're going to try chapter three anyway. I'll tell you why. Unfortunately, there you're not you're not buying that, huh? Not buying what I'm selling. Unfortunately, chapter three there, there's a division there, and there really shouldn't be. And and by the way, the chapter divisions and verses are not inspired. They are helpful. They are very helpful. I'm glad we have them. Can you imagine reading the Bible and not have verses and say, well, it's somewhere about three quarters through the Epistle of John. And you just kind of have to work through that, however, what that means. But no, we have verses and we have chapters, but it really probably shouldn't have been there, but that's okay. Uh, we'll just move right on in. You know, we have comfort and we have joy. And the times that we live in, you'd wonder why we would have joy and, and comfort and all this. Uh, but sometimes, you know, in, your, in our everyday lives, have you noticed that the joy can kind of recede a little bit? Our hope can even recede a little bit. Not that we give up the fact of what, what's going to happen because we go, oh, well, I can't wait till it comes back. We should come back right now because I don't want to do this. <laughs> Say that quite frequently, right? But when we go to God's Word and we see what He has done and what He is doing for us now and what He's going to do, we can't help but shout for joy because of this uh, encouragement. We are immensely encouraged. Now, if you don't have hope, it's like darkness. 
Hope comes in and it's like turning on a bright light. You ever been in the absolute dark when you couldn't see anything and all of a sudden, boom, you turned on the light and now you could? Well, without hope, it'd be like living in that black darkness. Bleak. Never seeing any kind of light and just going through life blindly. Uh, Not having any hope in this life, I think, would be absolutely miserable. Wouldn't it be a miserable thing not knowing our Lord? What a... What a great thing that we have in this hope. But it would be horrible to think that this is it. So how do people get by? Well, they have a dream here and there. They have some kind of uh, fantasies. Uh, no lasting substance. Uh, people get by on false hopes. They can drown themselves in alcohol when things don't go right. And boom, you go right to that. And when things are going right, you go right to that. And then you go whenever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But when things are really down, people tend to uh, do that. Or they lose themselves in drugs. That's, that's their hope. Uh, lasts uh, really a few moments, a few minutes, a few hours. And, and that's it. And then they've got to have more. Or they lose themselves in, in sex, entertainment. You know, look at, look at uh, television and uh, the movies. All those things. And you can see where they're focused on because that's what they know and that is their hope. And they delude themselves into thinking that, hey, life is just fine. It's, that's what it's all about. But at the end of the day, they're still left empty. Everything is in vain, as the Ecclesiastes writer wrote. When they reach the summit, then all those things really still don't mean anything. And I've heard of guys who've won the Super Bowl. They look for that. They train for that all their lives, ever since they were in middle school, high school, college. Now they're in the pros. They finally make it to the Super Bowl and they're at the top. And great, it's fantastic. And then a couple days later they go, is that it? Is is that all there is? That's it? And then you you wait for the next year to win another Super Bowl if you get the opportunity. And it goes that way in anything. People look for that ultimate high, that summit, and they get there and they realize... I thought there was more to this. Now, Christians, when they reach that summit, they know that, hey, this is not what life's about. This is an enjoyable thing. This is nice. You at least see certain uh, Christian athletes who've won things like that. First thing they do is they give glory to God, uh, thanking Him. This is an enjoyable time. But they know that this is not the end of it all. This is not the end of the rope. Uh, This is uh, just something that's part of life. Uh, It's all going to burn up anyway. Well, the Christians hope is an anchor. It's an anchor for the soul. You ever heard of that in Hebrews? An anchor for the soul. That's what we have, an anchor. Peter says we have a living hope. A living hope. We're kind of doing a theology of hope here for a moment. Um, Our living hope is eternal life. We have something awaiting us even more than all the pleasures we even have now in Christ. And it's incorruptible. It is something that's undefiled. It's an inheritance that is waiting for us. Isn't it good to know that you're not going to get hammered today? You're just going to realize what God is doing for you. You have great hope. (laughs) Hope. Hope. We eagerly wait it with perseverance. Romans 8.24 says we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? See, we want to see things. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We have a salvation now. But the greatest part of salvation is not yet realized. We've had a few years in our saved lives, haven't we? Some longer than others, but it's just a few years. Compare that to eternity. We really have just started. And when you think about that, there is a fulfillment of this, a completion. We will see Christ as He is. Now, that's the verse that we're heading to today. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is found in chapter 3 of 1 John. We're going to see Him as He is. And not only that, we will be like Him. Now, hope is a major component of what our salvation is about. And... 
we know that when our hope is realized, we will finally participate in the fulfillment of what God's purpose was in the very first place. We haven't yet realized what all that is yet. We're beginning to learn, but once we get in our glorified bodies with glorified minds, which will be able to comprehend things like we never have before, then we'll see what we were ultimately made for. This is incredible. Not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's not, well, I kind of hope that really works out, but how can you be sure? No, this is what life is about. This is what it's already doing. This is great when you realize that. It makes you get through life, doesn't it? And that's what First John is... is uh, really bringing to us. Now, before we go to today's text, we're going to do just a little bit of theology of hope. You go to Psalm 43.5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. Why am I disturbed? Why, have, why do I have so much despair? And then the writer of the Psalms there says, Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm to hope in God. That's right. And now we get our focus right. But boy, I'll tell you what, those waves get pretty high when they come up on us sometimes. And we get in despair and then it says, Oh, look at the Lord. Hope in God. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in earlier times, Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have what? Hope. It's written for our instruction. And we're going to have perseverance. We're going to have to persevere as we go through this. We're going to be encouraged that we would have hope. Romans 15.13 Now, may the God of hope, the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may be abounding in hope. Listen to this. By the power of whom? Exactly. The Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? I think it's amazing. Our hope is then confirmed and energized by the Holy Spirit. If it was just our little hope, it would be here and then it would fade on out. But the Holy Spirit is always in us, energizing and making us realize and confirming to us that the hope that we have is real, it is true, it is absolute. And so we have that great hope. Our hope is the source of all of our joy. That's another element of hope. It's what defends us against the onslaught of Satan who can be very mighty at times. He always is mighty and sometimes he strikes hard. And when he hits and he comes and starts trying to develop doubt, we have that helmet of salvation which is dealing also with hope is involved in salvation. It's confirmed. Hope is confirmed through our trials, through uh, persevering. Hope gives us the strength as we go through those things and the bright reality of our eternal hope. That's what MacArthur says. He has one more line. He says, but even while living in this life, even while living in this life, hope is the source of our purest joy. Hope. That source. Jeremiah 17.7 says, Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. Blessed is that man. There's our joy. There's our happiness if we are trusting in the Lord. In Titus, it says that we have that blessed hope about the return of Christ. That's where John is dealing with. Matter of fact, all of this is really pointing to the ultimate return of Christ. We have this hope because of different facets that have been given to us. And that's what we're going to look at today. I think we have seven of them that we're going to look at different parts, different little parts of this shining diamond of hope. Faith, hope, and love. These three remain. Those are awesome indeed. If you do a real study, we just did a few verses there, and if you really go to your concordances and you look up hope, you would be here for a long time today just looking up all those verses dealing with So there's something to this hope 
I hope I don't <laughs> I hope I don't run this into the ground as I keep saying this word hope because uh, can you imagine it would, how many times it'd pop up on the computer I wonder how many times Dennis said hope today and you have a little gadget on your system and it picks up hope and it says wow he said that 563 times today I'm not sure but uh, Zach back there running the sound he, we, we actually have a, a little kind of a running joke because there was a group uh, that we saw at a concert. And that was the word he kept using all through there as he had talked between the songs and it got a little bit almost much. You know, he keeps saying hope and it was kind of funny how it worked. It was a gray day like today and everything. And when they started singing this song that was dealing with hope, you won't believe what happened. The sun came out bright as it could be for that song. You know, and he said, look up, you know, and the crowd went crazy and everything. I think the clouds went back behind Saints, didn't they, Zach, after that song or something? Okay, anyway. Verse 28. Why don't we get to the text? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Alright. With that setting now, with that setting. And now, little children, abide in Him. That when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. We have hope, first of all, because we abide. We have hope because we see ourselves abiding. We're still remaining. We're still sticking around. Uh, and he, Okay, he says, and now, little children. Now, he has already introduced the little children. In chapter 2, earlier in this same chapter, he talked about, I write to you little children. Technia, which is the word dealing with general children. And you can be 1 to 91. You know, little children. Anybody. Then there's another word that is dealing with a, a little a little one, a little child, not an adult. Well, in this one, it's the word that would be for everybody. And isn't the Greek very precise? It differentiates between this and a, a little bit. So it's not just talking about just a small young one uh, who is not mature in the faith, but he's talking to everybody that's a Christian. And he calls them little children. That's what we are. We're just, we're just little children, but we're not little babies either. Um, all different levels of maturity. Now, the next word, you guessed it, is abide. Have we seen that word before in 1 John? Have we seen it quite frequently in Paul's letters? This is the word minnow, M-E-N-O, not the one that you go fishing with, but uh, this is the one, because usually they don't remain too long anyway, hopefully, if you catch the fish, right? But uh, here we are to remain, to stick around, to persevere, to stay. We're to stay. Um, quite frequently. Now, in the Gospel of John, John wrote First John, right? We turn all the way back to the Gospel of John in John 15, and I think we get a very good theology here of what abiding is. Jesus says it in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So there's some branches that are not real. They're just like plastic, artificial, stuck in there. They look real, but they don't bear fruit. They're not really real. But there are other ones that are, they bear fruit. He, but he has to prune them. Uh, like that word? The Lord is pruning on us all the time. There are certain seasons where he prunes us. Now, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then he says in verse 4, there's that word, Abide in me. Remain in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. If you take that branch off, it's not going to live, is it? 
But uh, if it's a living branch, it's in the living vine, it's going to get the sap, everything it needs. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We know that, right? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That doesn't sound like Christians to me, right? So it says we have to abide. How do we abide? Well, we abide in the Word. You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. You abide that way. You remain, you stick around by uh, looking into His Word and seeing what it means and applying that to your lives. That's abiding. Sticking around. Staying in the truth. Being committed to the truth. Being assured because of the truth that's there. The more that you do that, the more fruit that will come out as you obey that Word. And you remember, uh, last week we talked about the people who did not remain. Remember them? They were the ones who left. And they showed that they were not of the true Christian realm. They never were. They were apostates. And they proved they were never real by going out. They may stay around for a long time, say the right things, do the right things, but really their heart has never been changed. They're not true. They're not real. Um, but when we abide, what it does, it shows proof that we truly are children of God. It's a proof that we are real when we continue. Prove that you're the real thing. That's what uh, John is saying here. Abide in Him. Prove that you are really real. Is it by our own selves that we can do anything? No. He said in uh, John 15, without Him we can do nothing. If we're really in Him, then we are going to grow. He's going to make sure that His children go. He will do that at the same time. Uh, if you are in the Word of God, it will do that. And Jude, uh, kind of interesting there, he's telling them uh, along the same lines. He says, uh, verse 20, "...but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, build up." Praying in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. Look at this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. All the way. Look to that, right? There again, it's pointing to Him coming back. But what's He saying? Keep yourselves in the love of God. So here's what He says. Here's what you do. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And He say, Oh, wow, how can I guarantee that I can continue to do that? Um, Well, if you will look in verse 24, it gives us our answer. Now, to Him who is able, that's a power word, powerful word, dynamite kind of word, to keep you from stumbling. God has the power to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. We are the bride and it will eventually happen where we'll be spotless, we'll be faultless, there won't be any sin in us at all at uh, His coming. Before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. All right. That is how we will continue to we do what we know to be do. We are obedient. We're only obedient because we're in Christ because we have the Holy Spirit and he keeps us from stumbling to the point where you fall and then you lose it all. But that can't happen if you're really his as he shows there. Uh and that's why John is writing to the true Christians. I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, uh, he says, when he appears, now little children, abide in him, that when he appears, phanerao, um, the context here, is the arrival of Christ, the second coming. What does phanerao mean, or appearance? It means an arrival. Uh, the very appearance of Christ. It's the second coming. Uh, imminent return. Have you guys introduced yourself to that word imminent? The imminence? That is meaning that Christ can come back at any point in time. And I think there are many um, passages in here that talks about that. Paul looked for Him to come. John, you could say, looked for Him to come. He could have come back 2,000 years ago, but He hasn't come back yet. And we, we look for that. We, of all people, look for that. Uh, let's look at some deals here uh, as far as Scripture is concerned about this blessed hope, for instance. I mentioned Titus earlier. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, look at this. Looking for the blessed hope 
and glorious what appearing phanerao the manifestation of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ the blessed hope and the glorious appearing the blessed hope the joyous hope okay let's keep looking First Timothy one one dealing with hope Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Again, that's going to ultimately deal with that second coming. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16? That's just a few pages back from our Timothy. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. What do we have? Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Work. Uh, word and work. So He's loved us. He gives us this hope by grace. Even while we're here right now, we have that. It's our good hope. In Romans 15.4, He calls it our comforting hope. In Romans 5.2 and Romans 12.12, He calls it our joyous hope. In Galatians 5.5, He calls it a righteous hope. In Hebrews 7.19, uh, it's our better hope. Um, 1 Peter 1.3, our living hope. Hebrews 6.19, our sure and steadfast hope. Romans 5.5 presents it as a non-disappointing hope. Will not disappoint. 1 Peter 1.13 says it is our gracious hope. Titus 3.7 says it's our eternal hope. Colossians 1.27 says it's our glorious hope. And Hebrews 6.11 says our assured hope. 1 Peter 3.15 is our defensible hope. Give an answer to all those that have questions about it. And you give them uh, what your hope is. So the story doesn't end till Christ comes for His people. And we think of that time of uh, where He meets us in the air. So confidence is the idea here as John stresses this now. When He appears, we may have confidence. If Christ were to come back right now, would you have a confidence enough to stand before Him? That's what He wants. In our daily living, we know we're depending on His grace and His mercy, right? What He has done. We're depending on the truth that He's given, the promises. But still yet, if we haven't been living a life that has been consistent with what we believe, we'd kind of be embarrassed, wouldn't we? If we were maybe on a down, downward in our walk, we want to have confidence. We don't want to be ashamed, as John says. We may have confidence and not be ashamed when He comes. Before Him at His coming. So, there's a second coming. Colossians 1.22. What does it say there? Colossians 1.22 says, In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Now you have an if on the next verse. And in Hebrews you get this a lot. And that's why people sometimes have a hard time interpreting Hebrews. Here you have something, okay, here's what He's going to do. And then He has an if. And if our salvation is based upon our works, the rest of our Christian lives, we're still in trouble. He, he, um, he already paid for our sins. But He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. And that's dealing with a remaining again. Sticking around. If you indeed continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's saying there's some of you that are not going to remain. You must you show yourselves that you're true because you will continue in the faith. If that be the case, then you are going to be presented holy and blameless at that moment of his coming. So the if says this is a proof that you truly are a Christian. You're still there. Okay, we have hope. Why? Because we abide. Key word, isn't it? Alright, we've taken enough on that verse. Let's move on. Verse 29. The next one, we have hope because righteousness is manifested. Kind of connected with that last verse. If you know that He is righteous, 
you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Anybody who practices righteousness is a Christian. You're born of God. If you know that God is righteous, then His children is going to be righteous. If you know Christ is righteous, then you too are righteous. You're righteous because of Christ. It's His righteousness. So we are to live in the light of this hope in a righteousness that is belonging to, to Christ. So we're to put this on display. In this life, in this world that we live in, put on the display of His righteousness by what action? Obedience. And we sang a song earlier this morning. Trust and obey. It's no other way. We obey what we know to be the truth or what we trust in. When we do that, we manifest the righteousness of Christ. We're showing that we are true. Our righteousness, believe it or not, because we have Christ's righteousness, really resembles His righteousness. Even here on earth, we are to be holy in our actions. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says this, But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. Be set apart. Be sanctified is the idea. We're different from the rest of the world. We're different than what we used to be. So show that. If you know that Christ is righteousness, we is righteous, then we know that if anyone is born of him, they're going to practice righteousness too. The other people, myself, the believer is known by how he lives. So that's why a lot of people really get stumped up when they see people that say they're Christians. They go to church or don't go to church, but they say they're Christians and they say, Huh, I don't get it. Look uh, at their lives. But they say they're Christians. And people who aren't Christians see that and they go, Christians aren't any different than anybody else. And they see that. And they're right on the ones that they see. Yeah, I know. But you you prove your obedience um, by showing that uh, you, you belong to God. And you, you do that. You obey. One of the tests. What's one of the tests for a Christian? Obedience. Right? One of them is loving your neighbor. Another one is obeying God. Right? And then another one is, what do they say about Christ? That's a doctrinal test. So when we are obedient, we have active righteousness. We are active in that. We realize the hope that we have. We obey. Hey, Christ is coming back for me. I want to do everything that I can for Him to please Him now. Okay, that's that's the second one. What's the third one? Well, it's found in verse 29 in that same verse. It says it's born of Him. We have hope because of the birth we experience. Born of God. Born from above. This is the first time that that is mentioned in this epistle. Now John spoke of the new birth or born again earlier in a gospel in John 3. You must be born again. He said that to Nicodemus. Born again. Born from above. And here John says it. Now, this is not the last time he's going to say it. Let's look in chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. How about chapter 4, verse 7? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Born of God and knows God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Born of God. He says it all over the place, doesn't he? I'm often born again, born from God, born of God. That means that God did it. It comes from heaven. It's not an earthly birth. Now, we were born earthly here in our fleshly bodies. We didn't really have anything to do with that. 
And when we're dead spiritually, because of what we're born in physically, we're dead spiritually, so we have to be born from heaven. Born of God. And you'll notice John keeps stressing that. If you'll look in his Gospel, all throughout there, where he talks to Nicodemus, he talks about the wind blows. Nobody knows where it came from, where it's going. It's a thing of God. You're born of God. You can't enter into the kingdom of God unless He does something to you. He has to make you born before you can ever respond. When you understand the death of what sin does, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, what you do is you lay out on the floor, you lay out whatever it is, and you you beg for mercy of God. When, when one realizes, you don't have to lay out whatever the deal is, you recognize that you've been chopped down to nothing. And I'm relying totally on God here because I can't make myself born, can I? That's what Nicodemus was really saying. And Jesus says you have to be born from above. It's God's thing. And you look in John 6, no one can come unless the Father draws him to the Son. That was rather offensive. In John 10, he talks about the sheep. John just keeps working through that. And here in 1 John, guess what he's doing? He's showing another sovereign grace God. Born of God. John knew what that meant. Finally got to him. So, it's his creative activity. It's not becoming children of God because we walked an aisle, because we said a prayer, because we signed a card, because we had some kind of religious experience, because we got baptized as a baby or as an adult. Those things are, can be good things, but we're not born of God because of those things. It's because He came in and did it. We're born from above. Dead men cannot see. How can dead men see the kingdom of God? How can anybody even make the first move? He first loved us. Right? John says that too. We'll be uh, going over that eventually. People are believers because they are born again first. That sounds backwards to modern evangelism of the day, which was really never meant the way that it was written. And in the early days of the church, they taught what we're talking about here. And then it fell into the realm of the Dark Ages and in Roman Catholicism. And it was a man-centered gospel and it was something you had to do. You have to do this thing and these things. And then you get the Reformation. And they start uncovering these truths that were born of God. It's Him who comes in. It's by His sovereign grace. It's by His mercy. It's by His love that He wakes us up, regenerates us, justifies us, sanctifies us. and That He calls us, brings us into the kingdom of God. It's His work. And that's what we see in the Reformation. The only thing is, it didn't take long Uh, that things started going back to the man-centered gospel and you are the one. Charles Finney, who's probably done some of the most damage that anybody has ever done to the gospel back in the 1800s. And I know a lot of people bring him up to such a great man, but to be honest with you, uh, he said that you have enough in your own mind to come to God. You don't even need God's grace. That is Pelagianism at the heart. Pelagius was kicked out of the church way back in the early centuries of the, of the church because of that theology. It's Pelagianism. And then you have semi-Pelagianism, which is in the Catholic Church, and I think it's come right back into the evangelical realm of our day. I'm not just hammering Catholic Church. I'm just saying that kind of thought has come back. It's a revival of, of the Roman belief. And uh, so we have to stress being born from above. Um, when you think of that, then you realize I'm trusting in solely Him because there's nothing I can do. We say yes because He has regenerated us and now we make the decision whenever He has done it. We say yes. Irresistible, isn't it? Now why am I harping on that? Well, it'll make sense as we look in our text here in chapter 2 then. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What kind of love is this? 
that He calls us children of God. He's already called us that in a, in a couple of verses before this, right? Now He comes back and He hammers it and says, Oh, wow, what, what is this? See, I want you to catch this, John says. Look! Exclamation point. See! Behold! He's not saying, behold! You know, check this out! This word means to call attention to and scrutinize this. Look at this. Examine it. The word for this, this manner of love is patapen, and it means foreign. It means alien. Literally, it's, it reads like this in the Greek. Behold, of what country is this love? This is unearthly. This is not from here. I don't know this kind of love. What kind of characteristic is this? This love is, you ever heard of this one? Out of this world. This is what John is saying. It's blowing his mind as he really thinks about it. Remember, he's the apostle of love and he has just hit on this this the children of God and he comes back to this and all of a sudden he's struck by the Holy Spirit as he's writing this and he is blown away in our vernacular. This is not like anything we know we have never experienced this kind of love. So he took the initiative. He loved us first and he loves us to the uttermost and it's not like a human love. And he loves us, what blows me away in John 17 where he says that great prayer is that he loves us like he loves his son, Christ. That's on the same level of that kind of love. I I don't know what to do with that. Let's look in Matthew 8.27. What manner of love is this? What? I, I don't understand that. I've never experienced this kind of thing. Jesus stills the sea right in front of them. They've been in, out in the, this tempest, rose on the sea. Disciples come to him, says, "Hey, wake up! You know, Lord, save us! We're perishing." They couldn't do anything. They tried it. They're out there, you know, being blown around, tossed about for hours and hours. And wake up! He said to them, "Why are you fearful? Oh, ye of little faith!" They arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Verse twenty-seven. So the men marveled. They're just simply amazed, saying, "Who can this be?" Who can this be? Even the winds and the sea obey Him. What, what is this? Who is this? this is, he really comes from the outer areas. He's not from this earth. Wow. John 13.1 The Gospel of John. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from the world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Love, love, love. He's going to depart, but He really loves them. And He shows how much He loves them by serving them. And in that chapter, you'll see that He is washing their feet. <laughs> he serves them. Romans nine thirteen through 15 an incredible passage. What kind of love is this? Well, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now you might say, well, he hated Esau because Esau blew it, so he likes uh, Jacob because he performed better. Well, no, that's not it at all because all you have to do is back up a couple of verses and he says, verse 11, for the children are not, not yet even being born physically nor having done any good or evil. They haven't done anything. It's not that He's going to foresee that they do good, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works. Not because they do something good or say something good. Not of works, but of Him who calls. matter of fact, Jacob was a deceiver. God had to come in and change him. So what does he say in 14 now? What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. He's saying, well, he's not there. Well, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Does God have the right to do that? To dispense mercy to whoever He wants? That doesn't sound fair. Well, if you want fair, that means we'd all be going to hell. 
There has to be. Do we know what mercy is? Mercy is saying, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. We all deserve hell fire for eternity. And he says, I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And then verse 16. This is mind blowing. So then it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, works, does things. It's not the man who has will or free will. It's not that. Or one who does some good works, human effort, but of God who shows mercy. And then he uses Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh, he was an instrument in God's hands. And he showed his power in him. He says in verse 17 and 18. And then people are going to say, and he will say to me, then why does he still find fault? They're going to say, hey, listen, if I'm not the elect, or you know, then what difference does it make anyway? Or they're going to come back with some kind of human thinking. Uh, they're going to say, for who has resisted his will? And then he says in verse 20, that favorite, famous verse, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Do you know how holy he is? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Doesn't the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? He said, Oh, God, I can't believe you're like that. We don't know how bad we are. We all need to be dumped in the trash forever. Why would he save any of us? That's the question. And he goes on in verse 22. And I know this is offensive to the human thinking. But he says, what if God wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Wow. And that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. This is incredible. That's heavy. That is really heavy. We're born of God. It's up to God's mercy. Romans 8, 38 and 39. We're born of God. 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What kind of love is this to these despicable, sinful creatures that He died for and we are going to be saved forever because Nothing can separate us. Not even ourselves. What kind of love is this? Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 to Israel. The law is being given and then 7 and 8, he talks about to these holy people. says in verse 7, The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people. He didn't set His love that unbelievable love that He has. He didn't do it because you had a lot of numbers in your people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you. And because He keeps the oath which He swore to your fathers. He loved them. Why didn't He take the Babylonians? Why didn't He take the Syrians? Well, He could have. But He didn't decide to work through them. He took Israel. And most people would say, yeah, He elected them out of that. He's sovereign, isn't He? Sovereign grace should make us bow down to a great God and make us worship Him. This is incredible, guys. This, this kind of love is... I don't know this kind of love except through God. 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. God has lavished this love on us. He had a love for us when we had no attraction. 
There was nothing special about us. There was nothing, anything good. We didn't deserve anything. And if you don't want to be ashamed at the Lord's coming, you need to get a deeper appreciation for God's love. The more you dwell on this, it will send you spinning. And that's what John says. What manner of love is this? This is incredible. It's an unconditional love. It's limitless. It's not based upon our performance, but all upon the fact of what Christ did at the cross. Our security comes through the identity that we have with Christ. It's His activity. But yet He tells us to keep remaining. That means be obedient. You have the choice as a Christian to obey or not obey but you're not going to be very confident. Sometimes you might be very doubtful of your salvation if you have not stayed in your word. But if you are His, you are His, and He has loved you to the end. Okay. So we're established in love. We have hope. Does that give you hope, what we just looked at? It blows me away. It's, it's about Him, isn't it? Everything is about Him. That's why when we sing the songs, it should be all about Him. Less of us, right? When we pray, it's all about Him. When we look at the Word of God, it's all about Him. It's a God-centered Gospel. Let's go to the next one. We have hope because He's given us a new name here in First John. It's a little children. Little children. We're born from above. He bestows it on us. I mean, He just lavishes it on us more than we can even imagine that we should be called children of God. Children of God. Look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. John 1, 12. But as many as received Him, and yes, we do. We do receive Him. I don't eliminate that. We receive Him. To them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. And you can say, see, we have to believe. Well, absolutely. We come by faith. Faith is the channel. It's the lifeline that is thrown out to us. A, a, a water hose is a channel that water runs. That's how God connects with us. He grants us the faith, as it's said in Scripture. Grants us repentance. And now we have a flow to God. We are now born of God. So we believe, and we have to believe. Faith. Justification by faith. We're justified by faith. But look at verse 13. Dealing with being born. Who were born, not of blood, not of the physical sins, nor of the will of the flesh, not in our own will. And here we go again, free will, as you hear in the public schools and all throughout the United States today. We, man just puts it out there and brags on the free will that he has. And we know that he's very, very limited in what he can do. Yeah, he, uh, the unbeliever has the choice to keep on doing what he's doing. That's his free will. He's a slave to sin. We're not born of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It's not the will of man that we're born again, but what is it? But of God. Well... There we go again. John just agrees with himself and First John that he said so many times and what we just read in Paul's epistles and Jesus talked about it. Wow. You know what amazes me about this? And I'm going to say this and I hope the Word doesn't stumble us up, but in one sense I think it's correct. God is proud to have me as His Son. God is proud to have you as His sons and daughters. He's proud of that. He's not ashamed to call us sons and daughters. Think of it. We're talking about of the King of the universe who created everything, who is everything. And not only He says, okay, hey, listen, I'm going to make you a slave. And we are slaves while we're here. But, and we're going to serve Him for eternity. But you know what? That's not a bad thing. And if I can get in there as a janitor, that's just fine with me. But no, He just doesn't call us in as workers. But He calls us in as children. Adopted, as it says in Romans 8. 
We've been adopted as sons and daughters. You know, the adopted, they don't pick their parents. It's the parents who choose what they want to be adopted. Now, I know today's thing is uh, kind of difficult, but in the adoptions they had back then, uh, they could adopt children into a family as far as the Romans were concerned, and there was the Jewish type thought. Um, but what it is, if they wanted one, then they would actually get the right to take that name on if they bring them into the family. Uh, we're not just friends or co workers. Uh, God picks us to be children. He regenerates us. The unregenerate cannot understand us because we are children of God. And that's, that's where we uh, look at here in First John just for a moment. We seem to be kind of strange, don't we? And sometimes we are. Sometimes Christians are embarrassing. We're sheep. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. If we're children of Him and we're in that family, they're not really going to understand what we're about. Romans 8.19 says, The glorious manifestation of the children of God hasn't happened yet. There will be a glorious manifestation. They can't tell really what a real Christian is or not. They've heard the term. But you know when you go into a restaurant, you sit down in that restaurant, you get ready to have a meal, and there's people around. They, you know, whether it be a waiter or waitress, they might be Christian, may not. Let's say if it's not Christian and people are sitting around you, they don't know you're a child of God. They don't have any clue. They don't really care. And they might see you pray, and they could care less. Big deal. You know, look at them. That's, that's crazy. You know, they don't have any idea. The Spirit of God is living in you. I mean, He's indwelling in us. <laughs> We're children of God, but we don't we don't look like it on the outward, do we? We can do some things that kind of help, but that manifestation hasn't shown yet because we've not been glorified. Fear of the universe lives in you. Did you hear that? The creator of the universe is right residing here. The king is here. He's made this the temple, the spirit of God. So they have no idea that literally. In your soul is the life of God. The life of God is in your soul. Ah, Henry Schubel, that little book, does that sound familiar? The life of God in your soul. Wow. Okay, we have two more. We have to speed this up. And it's the best part. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Verse 2, here we go. What does he call them? Beloved. Okay, he's already talked about that kind of love, that manner of love. Beloved, now we are children of God. And he says it again. And I want you to think about it. Remember, you are children of God. Beloved, I'm telling you, this is true. It's not yet been revealed or shown or manifested what we shall be. And you say, well, what are we going to look like? Well, I don't know. It's not yet been shown. <laughs> You're going to look something like what you are, only nah, much better. <laughs> It's not been yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Here's our future. We have hope because we have future. We're going to be like Christ. Is that one of the greatest hopes you can ever have? Like Christ? Yeah, that's right. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Oh, I love this. I love this. Now, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is this encouraging? Romans 8.29 For whom He foreknew, He also predestined or predetermined to be conformed to the image of His Son. To be conformed to the image of His Son. That is what's happening now and eventually we will be just like Him. We're not going to look like Him. It doesn't matter. 
that we're going to be like Him, we will be absolutely incorruptible, imperishable. We will take on a personhood and we'll know things much better than we know now. Totally sinless. We will behold the face of Christ and see His righteousness there. And you know what? We will be satisfied when we awake with His likeness. We look at Him and all of a sudden we look at us and we'll have this glorification on us. The thrust of the thought is this. Morally, we're going to be like the Lord Jesus. Never a chance to ever sin again. Aren't you glad you don't have the free will to go against Him at that time? You betcha. I don't want free will there. Whatever He wants is what I want. Isn't that the way that Jesus lived anyway? We boast in ourselves of our great free will. And God is saying, it's not your free will. I don't want it. I see this and I'm going, there's something much better than my little thinking. I mean, He is vast. We'll be free from all the possibility of defilement, sin, trampling into temptation, sickness, sorrow, death. It'll all be done. And it's hard for me to comprehend. It's hard for you to comprehend. We cannot wrap our brain around this. God wants us to reflect the very glory of Jesus Christ for us. Even right now. It's a staggering reality of what's going to happen. Absolute holiness and righteousness. We're going to be glorified physically. I know we'll have the fullest possible capacity to glorify God at that time than we do now. The the mind of Christ, which we have now somewhat will be expanded to think like He thinks. Nothing else awaits me in heaven better than this. Pure capacity to fully worship God. I'm inhibited now by this body, by my mind, of giving Him full worship. And if the Son delights in the Father, and He does, and there's no diminishing of that joy ever possible, then we are going to delight in the Father in heaven with an undiminished worship because of Christ, being like Christ. That's how our hope is fulfilled. We will see Him as He is. John 17.24 says that. Lack of time, one more. We have hope because it's characterized by purity characterized by purity, living pure lives. Purity is the evidence of our hope. If we live pure lives, if we walk the talk, then we're proving that we are real. Think of this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be like Jesus Christ. That's God's ultimate purpose, isn't it? That's where everything is aiming. What's the idea of predestination and everything, according to Romans 8? That we'd be conformed, made into the very image of His Son. That's my hope. That is heaven to me. Not just getting all the neat little things and which are great in heaven, but it's Christ Himself. The desire. I should have that desire even right now in time. I should have a pure view of what it is to live in the present. If we fix this hope on Him, knowing what's in the future, then we want that to be shown here as much as we can. I long to be like Him. You know, I can't gaze into that glory of Christ that longs to be like Him without some of it leaking to my life right now. If, if, if I really gaze into His glory, saying right here, I'm not going to give the fullest right here, I know that, but I, I just want a little bit of leaking of that in living a pure life. So what I'm asking us, as we contemplate all of these great privileges, that love of God that is just beyond us, you being a position as children of God, as you consider that glorious future that we have, and you're going to be like Him, you're going to be changed into the very character of Christ, thinking like Christ, doing things like Christ, doesn't it generate a growing purity even right now? When you think on those, 
this is a motivation speech if I've ever heard of one. You know, coaches give motivation speeches. You know, the football season, boy, they're in it. Man, about ready to explode, John. <laughs> He's taking us to the ultimate. Here's what we're all about. Listen, if there's not a growing purity in our lives, there's something wrong. <laughs> Haven't been in the Word. You look at this, and if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Nothing, nothing can excite you. So contemplate on that. Doesn't it motivate us to live uh, because of these privileges? To be pure as He is? Did you know that we have all the hope that we will ever need? We just saw seven of these. Why? Let's pray. Father, great God in heaven, thank You for giving this hope, absolute confidence that we have because of all of Your actions. And our emotions can go up and down, slide around, but in the long run, You're there holding us. And You've got us in Your arms. And we realize that You are saving us right now to the utmost salvation, which is glorification. What it is, this truth that we have. May we go out of here today living this kind of life to reflect what heaven is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.